Hello, and welcome everyone to our panel discussion about building skills for the future of work. Thank you for answering our opening question, what comes to mind when you think of the future of work? We're gonna take a look at the responses and we'll share them with you at the end of our discussion. Today's presentation is a collaboration of the City Club of Cleveland and Inspire Fall Fest, a conference for K-12 educators. I'm Eileen Frankel, director at Young Entrepreneur Institute and one of the organizers of Inspire. At Young Entrepreneur Institute, we believe that every child should learn about and experience entrepreneurship because it teaches critical life skills and a mindset that will benefit students no matter what they choose to do later in life. Young Entrepreneur Institute supports K-12 entrepreneurship education by providing professional development for educators and to support schools and organizations interested in introducing their students to the entrepreneurial mindset. The Inspire Fall Fest, which continues virtually over the next several days, was created in partnership with the Burton D. Morgan Foundation. We are so fortunate to have the visionary and financial support of the Morgan Foundation and its creative and hardworking leader, Deborah Hoover, president and CEO. Thank you, Eileen. Um, good afternoon, listeners, and thank you to the City Club of Cleveland for hosting this timely panel on building skills for the real world, organized by Young Entrepreneur Institute in partnership with Morgan Foundation. We're thrilled to combine the City Club audience with our Inspire audience of courageous entrepreneurship educators from Northeast Ohio and around the country. 2020 has been one heck of a wild ride for all of us is all I can say. There's never been a time when the entrepreneurial mindset and related skill sets have been more important as a means to survive and thrive. Educators have been on the front lines of societal transformation wrought by the pandemic. And we're here to extend our thanks for all you have done to keep America's young people on a path to achievement through perseverance, entrepreneurial muscle, and vision for the future. As we navigate the disruptions that have confronted us in 2020, we are made acutely aware of how important it is for young people everywhere to gain entrepreneurial skills that will support innovation, resilience, and creativity in the workplace. Today, I'm very excited to hear the perspectives of these community leaders, all valued colleagues of mine, working on the forefront of change in higher education, nonprofits, and industry. With us today are Marsha Ballinger, President of Lorain County Community College, Randy McShepard, Vice President, Public Affairs and Chief Talent Officer, RPM International, and board chair of Policy Bridge. Brad Helfman, Innovation Development Director in Healthcare at Gojo Industries. The panel today will be moderated by Danielle Sidnor, founder and CEO of We Win Strategies Group and president of the Cleveland branch of the NAACP. We Win Strategies Group is a firm dedicated to working with a diverse array of stakeholders to create win-win outcomes for individuals, organizations, and communities. Danielle previously served as ECVI Ex Executive Director, assisting individuals in growing businesses through a comprehensive suite of entrepreneurial programs and services. Thank you to Danielle and to all the panelists for your insights today. And now over to you, Danielle. 
Thank you so much, Deborah, and to Eileen and the team that is really making this happen. Uh, say good evening to everybody. I'm just this excited to be with you this evening and look forward to having a very thoughtful discussion. As we all know, our world is changing at an increasingly rapid pace. Technology and artificial intelligence become more dominant in the workplace and in the world. Most employers list soft skills as the most important thing that they look for in a prospective team member. Most recently, we've all learned that success requires mastering these soft skills, things like adaptability, teamwork, critical thinking, communication, and resilience are all skills that make up that entrepreneurial mindset. Today, we'll hear from a diverse group of Northeast Ohio leaders representing higher education, corporations, and the nonprofit community. They'll share their perspectives on the skills and the mindset that people need to find success in the real world. As in every City Club forum, you can participate with your questions. If you are joining us via Zoom, you can submit them via the Q&A box. If you're watching via the live stream, you can also text your questions to 330-541-5794. Again, that's 330-541-5794. We will do our best to try and work them in. So with that, let's begin. I am going to ask my esteemed guests to make sure that their cameras and their uh, audio is unmuted. I'm gonna also ask them to introduce themselves briefly by saying their name, their organization, and one word that describes the future of work to them. I'm going to start with you, Marsha. Thank you so much, Danielle. It's a pleasure to be a part of this a wonderful program this afternoon supporting entrepre entrepreneurship and uh, and thank you so much Deb Hoover and Eileen Frankel for including uh, me as part of this. So I've had the pleasure of serving as president at Lorraine County Community College uh, for the past four years. I have been at the college for close to 30 years and uh, we, we really embrace and thrive on entrepreneurship. One word, uh, I, I would say innovation. Thank you so much, Marcia. And I think we have a word cloud that's going. So I, I wonder how many <laughs> times that word is gonna come up. We'll see when we get uh, a little bit towards the end. Next, I'll call on uh, Randy. Good afternoon, everyone. Panelists, Danielle, always good to see you. <clears throat> Great to see my friend, uh, Deb from uh, Burton D. Morgan, Deb Hoover. And Eileen, thanks for bringing us all together. Um, I work as Vice President of Public Affairs and Chief Talent Officer for RPM International Incorporated, a worldwide chemical coatings company headquartered in Medina, Ohio. Um, and I would say the one word that describes the future of work is evolving. Evolving. Now, Randy, I've been looking at the chat. I don't know if I've seen that one yet. So ah, a, very good. A, a, great, a great word to describe. I look forward to our, our discussion. And finally, rounding out our panelists, I will call on Brad next. Okay, thank you. And thank you, Danielle and Eileen and, and Deb for uh, asking me to participate in this. It's very exciting and, I, and I'm um, excited to be able to share uh, what I've learned over the years. Um, I'm with uh, Gojo Industries. Um, um, I've been there over 20 years. Um, one of the things you probably know that we uh, we are the inventors of Purell hand sanitizer and um, been a very, very busy year. Um, I would say my one word is, um, is passion. 
Passion, that's also a very a great word to think about the future of work, Brad. And I'm sure you all have been busy with hand sanitizer. Everybody is, that's a definitely a high in demand product here. So I do have some questions prepared for the panel. And with any of these types of formats, please know that these questions are more of a guide, but there are obviously things that will come up in discussion that you might want to elaborate on more than what I've prepared. We also will have time later in the discussion to take in some of the Q&A uh, from our audience via the, the chat and those that are texting in their questions to the City Club Forum. So I'm gonna start um, with a question that I would you know, appreciate all of you all to, to weigh in. I likely will call on you one on one just because I know sometime in these Zoom formats, folks are talking and not sure if somebody else is going to jump in. So that way we don't play double Dutch with each other. So my first question, and I'll really start with you, Brad, is with the global pandemic cha and changing the way that we learn and work and interact with each other, uh, what is an entrepreneurial mindset? Why does it matter so much? And why does it, how does it impact the future of work? So really, again, we, we're navigating all these different things. We continue to have discussion around an entrepreneurial mindset. So why does it matter and how does it impact the future of work? Well, let me start with, um, you know, we, um, we, we were um, way back in January, we were, we were tracking the, uh, uh, what could potentially become the pandemic, which did become the pandemic. And uh, it's uh, obviously from, a, from a, the way we work, um, we're a very uh, collaborative uh, type of environment. Um, and we went remote starting in March, and we are still um, uh, remote at our corporate office until at least uh, early next year, if not longer. So we had to figure out how, we're, how, how would we continue to um, create the, that innovative, collaborative uh, environment, uh, but, but in a very different way. So we have a, we have a term we use at Gojo um, a lot, and it's, it's, very, it's three simple words that... Um, I think um, it helps us and then hopefully it helps others that are on this, uh, on this session, but it's very simple. It's, we ask ourselves, how might we? So it's, it's very simple, but we ask ourselves, how might we continue to create those connections so that we can uh, learn from each other? Um, how might we um, <laughs> dramatically increase our uh, capacity to uh, help, uh, you know, help make sure that uh, we can, um, serve our purpose. Our, our purpose at Gojo is saving lives and making lives better through well-being solutions. And uh, with uh, how that has impacted our, our, uh, our company and, and, our, and, and what we do is just uh, unprecedented. I, hear, I know you hear that word a lot, but we've, uh, you know, we've experienced H1N1, um, avian bird flu, uh, you know, lots of different things over the years. This is a whole different ball game. And we continually were asking, how might we do this or that? And uh, from a, for example, a supply chain standpoint, we, um, you know, we, the demand for our product was, was through the roof and we could not supply enough. Uh, we focused on healthcare environments. That was our number one priority. And we needed to make sure that we could continue to, to provide product. We had capacity to make lots of the actual product, the Purell, but we, um, didn't have enough components in terms of bottles. So I'll share just one quick story and then I'll, I'll turn it over to the other panelists. And so we said, how might we solve this, this challenge, this problem? Um, we ended up working uh, with a, another Ohio-based company, P&G, 
uh, we had some relationships and connections there. And we, uh, we asked them, do you guys have any, guys and gals, do you have any uh, bottle capacity? We were willing to, um, we know what our purpose is, and once again, about saving lives. And we know that we also have this brand that's, that's very strong and it's iconic and, and the bottle it's in is, is it's a gem shape, all that kind of stuff. But we said, we'll take anything we can get our hands on because the most important thing is to be able to save lives and get this product into the hands of those that need it. Long story short is we worked with P&G. They were, they were very gracious, very helpful. Um, they gave us a proprietary bottle that I think a lot of people are, are very familiar with, the Dawn bottle. I actually have one here. And uh, you could say it's a, it's a collectible. But what we did is, I don't know if you could see, to kind of thank them, it's one of the few times there's actually another brand on a Purell bottle. And uh, uh, that was something that we really, you know, we had to think of how could we do it. And it's been a, uh, a huge success in terms of making sure we get it to the right people. Wow, Brad, I think that there are so many different things in there that demonstrate um, innovation, being entrepreneurial, being able to quickly pivot to rise to the occasion. So definitely uh, looks like some information that educators can use as they're you know, working with students and thinking about what entrepreneurial mindset actually means. I wanna to pivot to Marsha and thinking about uh, that same question, but also from the standpoint of, as in, from an educator or an education institution standpoint, we have a lot of educators that are on this line with us today. And some are dealing with students all the way at the earlier part of their education. And there's often uh, this word used when we talk about design thinking, which fits into entrepreneurial mindset and entrepreneurism. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about how teachers can start even with the earliest students thinking about design thinking and how it always also translates up into uh, post-secondary education. Uh, that's a great question, Danielle. And you know, I, I think that the, um, the how might we that Brad just talked about is a great way for educators from K-12 through higher education to really think about from that design thinking approach, you know, how do we design with the end in mind and knowing what is what are those outcomes that you're trying to achieve or that, that end in mind. Um, and and when you utilize the question, the how might we, it really creates a different lens and a different framework, uh, whether it's a company looking at, you know, how are they reimagining something or it's the educator trying to uh, really get that student um, not only excited, but for the light bulb to go on and to uh, to really design from it, because that that's the abundance model. That's the appreciative inquiry approach that from a design modeling and thinking perspective, I think can create those, um, the greater possibilities. And, and, you know, providing the, whether it's the curriculum, the tools, the experiences, that experiential learning to, to unleash that creativity um, that innovation, the ability to not feel bound by um, the parameters and to really blur and erase and erase those lines, which is really, you know, Brad's example, right, of, of Purell and, and what was, um, you know, binding them. 
but to know that greater purpose and of, of what is what is that mission, what is that vision, what is your purpose, and as uh, you know, whether it's the, the the children who are in kindergarten or preschool or first grade, all the way through the entire educational continuum, that understanding that recognition of what are your strengths, what are your assets to, to build upon and into really, for us at Lorraine County Community College, for example, um, our mission is every student's dream matters. And that translates into so many different outcomes, but being focused on what are those metrics that matter and, and how, you know, whether it's in a time of a pandemic, um, when we all have to embrace that flexibility, agility, and then that reimagination, um, I think are those, those types of, um, whether they're soft skills, some are now calling them the new humanics skills uh, in education, it's, it's the new liberal arts in many ways, and it is that coming together, I think, of, um, of really the creation of we're at a new day one, and, and giving that permission for students to and educators to just really dream differently because there's no playbook for any of this. Yeah, I think Marsha, the, the fact that you ended with there's no playbook for any of this uh, is really some of the conversation that Eileen and I were actually having even before this started about what's gonna happen next for kids going back to school, not going back to school and everybody is trying to navigate these different decisions. And so I know that Again, we have a lot of educators that are on the line today. So hopefully everybody's able to take something back regardless of how they're interacting with kids, whether that's in person or whether they're doing that uh, virtually, but be able to bring some of these nuggets that you guys are delivering into that conversation. So I wanna pivot now to Randy and really go back to that initial question about as we look at navigating through a pandemic and really maybe how some of this has worked its way into your role uh, within RPM and thinking about entrepreneurial mindset inside of an institution, how do you see that showing up and what advice would you give um, educators and professionals that are kind of navigating people coming into the workforce and the need to have that entrepreneurial mindset? Okay, well, thanks, Danielle. Uh, I wanted to say to Brad, I didn't know that we had props uh, as, as a part of the deal. I, I would have brought a few things, but uh, no, that's an awesome story. Um, I would start out by saying that uh, the one thing we've wrestled with at our company is um, just trying to adjust to the new normal, right? Um, I think uh, every employee of our company has to think about their daily work in a different way. Uh, we're not together in most cases. Uh, we, we don't have the chance to have informal conversations at the, you know, uh, water cooler or, or what have you. Um, so you have to learn to really, if you're working from home or working from remote locations, I think we all have had to really double down on being self-starters, um, holding ourselves accountable, uh, not being able to necessarily look to someone for direction, but to actually take the lead and doing uh, whatever work you think is appropriate and, and timely, uh, you know, being independent in the way we think and act. Um, I'd like to say this is the ultimate honor system <laughs> that we are uh, facing as employees of uh, any type of uh, organization or institution. Uh, one advantage, Danielle, that I would say we have at RPM, just 
just to tell a quick story, um, the founder of RPM uh, company was founded back in 1947. And uh, the founder had a Lincoln Continental that he drove around and uh, his license plate was 168. Now our, our current CEO is a third generation CEO. So he, th this was his grandfather. And for decades, they just thought that was his favorite number. Until recently, our CEO was up one night looking at a picture of his grandfather. Said, "Oh my God, one six eight. That's the number of hours in a week." My my grandfather was thinking this twenty four seven thing, you know, decades ago, and uh, he sort of got fired up about that and uh, actually trademarked a term that we call the value of one six eight, where we talk about the value of every single day and putting the most in every day for your employer, for your family, for your community, and. Um, so times like these, I think we all have kind of reflected on the value of 168. How can we make the best of this environment, no matter where we are, no matter where we work, no matter the fact that we aren't, we aren't you know, interfacing with our colleagues in the way we have in the past years. And I think that that uh, is really working well for us. Um, one other unique thing about RPM is that we're a holding company. Uh, we own over 80 companies worldwide and Unlike most other companies that are in the mergers and acquisitions business, we find companies that are successful, uh, that have successful entrepreneurs leading them, and we ask them to remain with us once they're acquired, which is very different than uh, many of our, uh, you know, publicly traded uh, counterparts. Um, so as a result, we we believe that there is a very lively spirit of entrepreneurship in the way we all go about our work and our business. And um, I would just say to uh, educators out there that uh, keep those soft skills in mind and keep um, you know strategies in place that allow you to challenge your students to be out of the box thinkers, to, to borrow from some of Danielle's early terms, to be adaptable, to be resilient. Um, I even like the idea of experiential learning that Marsha talked about. Um, we have to know that it's not about reading a book or you know some academic you know piece and, and dropping it off there but that's really the beginning how do you take theory and ensure that it actually plays out in meaningful ways and that will include some experimentation some some failure but um that is really i think the future of work uh stubbing your toe failing forward trying new and different things thinking out of the box um you know when you when you look at the explosion of technology that's what it's all about people are really thinking big and out of the box so i'll uh i'll stop there awesome randy and i, I think that um some of the things that you talked about really when when you think about the, the students that are coming out of this pandemic they will have learned some of them how to navigate remote work that you know for some people this transition was very uncomfortable because they're so used to building and bonding over those face-to-face -face interactions so it could be a blessing in disguise that our kids have had to navigate this early in their career because it absolutely will give them some skill set that they can take back uh, into the workforce so thank you absolutely. for Marsha I wanted to pivot to you again thinking about um before I go there, I'm sorry. I know we've got a couple of questions in the Q&A. After we do these prepared questions, we will go to some. So continue to please drop your questions in the Q&A um, if you're in the Zoom. If you also have questions and you're watching via the live stream, you can text 330-541-5794. And again, that's 330 
541-5794. But Marcia, I know that from uh, my experience in my previous role with ECDI, we did a lot of work with um, LCCC. And I have two sons that also have a small business and have worked a lot with the Young Entrepreneurship Institute over the last several years. So I had a question for you specifically about the practical application of some of the things that we think about from business and entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and how, again, that really influences uh, the future of work and what our students can be thinking about if they already are tapped into networks like this and they're doing the entrepreneurial thing, how does that translate into things that they can take into the workforce or career or business? Yeah, great, great question, Danielle. And uh, that's a great story about your, your two sons. That entrepreneurial mindset, uh, you know, which it, which begins at an early age, and and we can continue to nurture that uh, through through different support systems. And you know, I think there are great opportunities within K twelve and higher education uh, at Lorain County Community College. We have uh, the the wonderful uh, resource of Neo LaunchNet as an example, which is. Uh, supported by the Burton D. Morgan Foundation, because we want to we want to provide any student who has that dream um, to work for his or herself that that they can do that. And we're going to wrap around what are those what are those skills? What are those building blocks? We know that the gig economy and the gig workforce is, is what we are now in. And that is going to, I think, continue to accelerate. So having, having individuals, having students, youth dream big and know that they can do this with the right ecosystem um, as, as a part of it. Uh, and, you know, I think, uh, we do things like the Lemonade Challenge all the way up through then. Uh, we, we host on our campus um, uh, a program, uh, Flex Factor, uh, which is through Next Flex out of San Jose, California. Several years ago, we had our first cohort of middle and high school students. We had about 40 of them. This past year, we had over 1,500 students immersed in, uh, in an eight week program where they were designing flexible electronic solutions with sensors to real world problems. But if you were to you know, say to students uh, in, in high schools and in middle schools, are you interested in a career in this? They may not know what that is, but what we're really teaching them is how, how to innovate, how to invent, how to run their own business, how to do that business pitch. And, um, and so I think uh, the ways that we can partner with our K-12 systems, with businesses and higher education together, we have such tremendous resources in Northeast Ohio to really be that gig talent destination um, for our kids. Absolutely, and I have a one like brief follow-up question to that. How do you all teach students about failure? Because I think a lot of uh, mm -hmm. innovation, entrepreneurial kind of mindset is that iterative process. And sometimes absolutely high school it's where it's like, I gotta get straight A's to right. now enjoying the fact that sometimes you fail and that's how you get to success. 
Yeah, so, and that, that actually is a, is a part of our process with entrepreneurship, which also includes, we have our, our Campana Center for Ideation and Invention, which opened uh, just over a year ago. We have now um, one of the largest fab labs um, in, in the country, and we are one of the two super nodes out of MIT's fab lab, the other being in Barcelona. And that failure process is a critical element of it. It's part of that creativity. It's part of that iteration, as you described it, Danielle, and just teaching and learning. And, and that's experiential learning um, at its best. Thank you. So Brett, I have a question um, for you as it relates to innovation. And you know, really the, the context for this is that I, I sit in a lot of different spaces and have the privilege of having conversations around what the future of our region looks like, you know, how we got here and where we need to go. And so thinking about sometimes the Midwest being viewed as this place that has a hard time retaining and attracting talent for some of the in-demand industries. And sometimes folks say, you know, innovation is the future. And then there's this conversation that innovation is right now. Like we've got to be ready for the things that are in demand today. Talk to me a little bit about um, what role educators can play in helping students be interested and attracted to innovation and jobs that will fall into those in-demand industries today and you know in the future. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks. Um, you know it, that that question is interesting because you know I I would agree that um, the the future of in innovation is now when when it's uh, related to to the students. Um, we need to we need to start now because uh, in in the next five to ten years these are the these are the folks that will be whether they're entering college entering the workforce these are the individuals that will help uh, you know the the next generation of innovators. Um, on the other hand, the innovation process it is um, I, I want to be realistic too, and I want to build on what Randy and and Marsh have said because. Um, um, the, the, the word failure is, is something that is so, so critical. And uh, at, at Gojo, we have a term we use called um, fail fast, fail cheap. <laughs> and so we really encourage people to, to fail, um, but in a way, in a, in, in a smart way, we don't want to you know, bet the entire company on something, but we want people to do a fail fast, fail cheap uh, approach, which really builds on what we've heard from Marsha and Randy is this experiential learning. So we are really big into experimenting, um, trying things and uh, very much hands-on. And uh, I would encourage the, uh, the educators, and, and I think it's, it's a theme we've already heard, is to try to do that with the students, give them opportunities to experiment. And um, we actually at Gojo, we reward failure. I mean, it's, it's something that uh, because we want people to keep doing that, and we want people to feel that, um, you know, the, the, you know, maybe in the in the old days or whatever, you know, if you failed, that was you know putting your career at risk. Um, I think in today's environment, um, if you do it in in a way that's uh, uh, trying to learn, because that's really what it's all about. It's it's the failure. Uh, the most critical part of that is is what did you learn from that failure, and what do you what part of that learning should you keep? What part of that should you pivot to something else? Or, you know, in some cases it's okay, I learned and, and let's stop 
let's not do this. Let's move on to something else. So it's really about learning. So with the, with the, uh, the students, yes, the future is now. We need to um, get that type of mindset, that type of thinking now um, in, in small doses perhaps. Um, and then, but once again, the future is uh, of innovation. It is, a, it is a process and it really depends on the, on the, on the magnitude of the innovation. We have, we have something where we, we say that um, uh, from, from innovation, it's, you know, there's stuff you need to work on today uh, with any business, there's stuff you need to work on tomorrow. And then there's the day after tomorrow. And those are things that they don't, they don't happen overnight. They're hard. There's lots of uh, challenges. There's lots of failures, but you need to do it because um, we, we say that, uh, and, this, and this might be a little harsh, but it's you either innovate or you die. Hmm. That's a very poignant uh, <laughs> way to put it, right? Well, and, and, you know, and I hate to say it that way, but you know, there's, there's uh, you know, you look at companies that were around 20 years ago, 10 years ago, I don't, I forget what the stats are, but it's, it's really staggering when you see that, you know, only X percent are actually in existence today. And it's the, you know, it's the next generation of companies, those that kind of the risk takers don't have those that are, are, are trying the things that we're suggesting. And Brad, I have a follow-up question um, because one of the questions that came in through the Q&A was about this concept of uh, fear. So you, you talked about you all reward, um, failure, I'm sorry, you reward failure. Could you give an example maybe of maybe a way that you all do that or something that you might suggest to teachers that are thinking about this concept of rewarding someone for failure? Um, I, I can't go into specific projects, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of one where... Um, uh, it was related to um, obviously we're, we're skincare focused and something like that. And we were working on uh, a, a project. Uh, it was actually a potential partnership. And, um, you know, we do a, it's called the due diligence process. And the team just did an outstanding job of uh, looking at the, uh, the IP landscape and uh, uh, the technology and how does it work and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and at the end of the at the end of the due diligence, we said we shouldn't do this. Hmm. Um, and but we thank God we did it this way. It didn't we didn't we didn't uh, you know do you know move forward with this this platform. Um, but we rewarded the team. And you know what, what we like to do is um, one of the ways we reward is we we give people uh, um, things that um, it's it's not about. You know, maybe something we, we like to be collaborative and get together. We do that a lot. So when we try to reward, we actually try to do things that will be do this with your family, okay. you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's, it's um, always interesting to think about ways that we might incorporate learnings from what's happening in the real world and the business environment, especially um, into our education system. So I appreciate that example. Yeah, and the, the one last thing I want to say is the other thing we. What we, we're, we're very much a learning um, uh, company and learning environment. And one of the ways we do that is um, we, we are very good listeners. So we listen to what others and it creates very rich dialogue. And we're not, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things I'd advise is when you're, when you're teaching students, actually teach them the, the art of listening because so many of us, especially, you know, we're listening and we're not really listening. It's not active listening. We're thinking about what are we going to say? 
and this and that, but you're missing what the person's actually sharing with you, which, which can actually be a great um, you know, learning opportunity. Absolutely, and I think all of us, as busy as we are and distracted, it's easy to not be as attentive to what's happening and be as present in the moment. So that's a great, great takeaway, Brad. Randy, I had a, a question for you. Um, we think about the role that you have at RPM, and I happen to also know some of the things that you do outside of uh, that particular role with your work on Riddle and really kind of formulating and founding that organization. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you would tell teachers to think about specifically with young black students and how to spark uh, some of that connecting those attributes of behaviors that may happen in the classroom with the entrepreneurial mindset. Because again, just knowing some of the work that you've done in the community, I could perceive that someone would not know the, the work you're doing from Riddle and also say, well, how does somebody who's leading at an organization like RPM also have this awesome, amazing thing that's happening in one of the um, most underinvested neighborhoods in the city of Cleveland. So talk to me a little bit about what, what teachers can do to really pull out and hone in and support that entrepreneurial mindset and thinking among young black male students and really how you've navigated your role with RPM and Riddle to be able to do that. Sure, so um, for those of you uh, tuned in, uh, Riddle is actually an urban farm that myself and two childhood friends started uh, 10 years ago this summer. And uh, we went into an area of Cleveland that was known as the Forgotten Triangle. It was the most notorious illegal dumping site in the entire city. And we uh, started by investing our own money and uh, started aggressively pursuing grants and other opportunities and pretty much grew what was initially a 1.3 acre farm with a lot of trash and debris that we ultimately cleaned up to what is now a 15 acre campus uh, that includes uh, two greenhouses, six hoop houses where we're growing uh, fresh produce. Uh, we also have uh, one of, if not the only EPA licensed compost facilities in the city of Cleveland at that site. We also spun off a uh, a fish hatchery or urban uh, fish farm. We're actually farm raising tilapia fish and selling those to local restaurants. And uh, just a few weeks ago, we finished, we're about 80%, 85% done on an actual restaurant building that we will use for uh, pretty much teaching people how to prepare healthy foods because our farm is located in a food desert community and we wanted urban dwellers to understand how to prepare healthy food and how to know that there's other options to the fast food restaurants that they see and a great number in that community. So one of the best things we've done is to bring students down to that farm and to let them see uh, all that we're doing. And uh, there's so much for them to see and their heads are just spinning by the time they leave. And um, we can talk on many levels about, you know, you, you need to, you know, combine carbon and nitrogen to make compost soil or we can talk about photosynthesis and how that plays into growing fresh uh, vegetables uh, on the farm site. I even uh, go into a business presentation for them where I say this business suit that I'm wearing is the new overalls for farmers because farming is changing. Farming can be very lucrative and uh, kids are really excited. They're blown away. Uh, one of my favorite stories, Danielle, is uh, two years ago we had a third grade classroom from Cleveland uh, schools uh, come back from a field trip to our farm and uh, one of the students uh, was asked by a principal or a teacher, you know, what did you like most about the field trip? 
And the boy's response was, all the bosses look just like me. So that was pretty powerful, right? And um, it starts to show kids uh, through exp experiential learning, um, you know, what is possible. And um, through a fraternity I'm, I'm involved in, I've also um, coordinated field trips where I've sent groups of kids from an all boys school in Cleveland to visit very successful people in various in prominent you know, positions. So I, people that I knew at NASA hosted a group. Uh, Fred Nance, a very prominent lawyer in Cleveland, happens to be LeBron James and uh, Dave Chappelle's attorney. He, he hosted a group. The president of Tri-C hosted a group. Uh, a, a person that has an orthodontics uh, office hosted a group and so on and so forth. And what these kids were coming back with was just unbelievable. I mean, you know, kids were saying, oh my God, I, I thought the only thing a lawyer did was get people out of jail. I didn't know that they could sign contracts with Nike for a guy like LeBron James or all these kinds of things. So um, just taking kids out of the classroom, putting them in those type of environments where they can actually experience, uh, hear stories, see people that have come from similar backgrounds that are doing all sorts of interesting things. And scientists are passionate about science and you know, lawyers are passionate about law and educators are passionate about education. So whatever the field is, there's something to be uh, learned and, and gleaned, you know, for those uh, young people. And I think, um, you know, uh, once they are not only put in that environment, but have a chance to ask questions and, and really see that people, you know, come from similar backgrounds, it really uh, makes all the difference. So um, I've been very proud of you know, the work that we've done at Riddle and, and the support, quite frankly, that RPM has uh, given um, not only the urban farm, but all of the uh, community involvements uh, that I've been uh, a part of. I like to uh, coin myself, a, you know, a social entrepreneur just because I've been involved in starting four nonprofit organizations and uh, being involved in any number of nonprofit boards and commissions. And uh, you know, it, it gets back to some of the, the questions that you, you asked earlier. These are transferable skills. It's all about, regardless of it's not if it's nonprofit, for profit, it's being creative, thinking out of the box, being visionary, uh, pushing the envelope, uh, doing things that haven't been done before, certainly going into an, a, a dump and converting it into a 15 acre uh, farm. I don't know how much more innovative uh, one can be, but uh, it's all been a lot of fun. And um, hopefully the teachers get something from that. Yeah, and Randy, and this is for um, all three of you, I'm now going to pivot uh, to questions that are coming in from the chat and also from the uh, City Club uh, text number. There was a question specifically, and I'll, I'll read it how it's written. Um, it's very clear that the most successful companies will be diverse and inclusive. How are the three of you currently training the next generation of leaders to lead for diversity equity and true inclusion. And I think Randy, you, you touched on some of those. Anything you would elaborate uh, specifically to this question? And then I'll go Brad and Marsha. Well, I'll just say that, um, you know, obviously for major corporations, especially, this is a hot button item these days. Everyone's talking about it. If you're not talking about it, you should be. And if you're publicly traded, trust me, your shareholders will be asking you about it. So you better be uh, ready for it, which is a good thing in my estimation. Um, so we are, um, we had been doing it in the past, but there certainly has been a, a quickening of the pace, if you will, with respect to um, starting programs and initiatives that focus on developing emerging minority leaders, developing uh, and, and uh, 
emerging uh, women leaders and uh, allowing those groups to offer input, have FaceTime with the CEO of the company and other senior leaders, uh, be a part of any new initiatives and projects and not you know, handing things down, but really listening and bringing things up from the bottom. I think that's going to be the new normal, the new way of doing business. And um, it's, I think, uh, adding a lot more value to you know, the kinds of ideas uh, that we are uh, kicking around in the corporate headquarters. So excited to see that happen. Thanks, Randy. Brad, uh, anything you, you all are doing specifically around that? Yeah, I mean, you know, as I said, I've been I've been at Gojo a while, and uh, as, as long as I've been there, we've we've always valued diversity um, in, in so many different ways. Um, but actually, just recently, uh, actually, it was last week, it was announced we are now a, um, a minority-owned, woman-owned uh, company. So um, uh, that was uh, something that uh, we've been working on for. Uh, X number of months, and we actually got uh, official uh, certificate and everything um, uh, last week. Um, so that's uh, just a, a great example. But you know, as we're as we're filling roles, I mean, we um, because of what's going on and with our business, we've been actually uh, hiring a lot of a lot of individuals, and uh, we continue to um, look for diversity um, um, in in so many different ways uh, in terms of what people. Um, you know, the, the old days of, you know, it, this is the role and we have to have somebody that checks off all the boxes. Um, now we're checking off boxes to make sure we bring diversity into, into whatever those roles are that we're, we're filling. Um, and uh, to kind of build on with Randy, it's, it's, it's a big deal. And the, the, the beauty of diversity is um, as it ties to innovation, it, it really uh, accelerates that process and allows you to think of things that you just wouldn't think of when, if you were all kind of from the same mold. And uh, it, it really is a key thing uh, to help um, continue the, the uh, innovation process. Thank you, and Marcia? Yeah, and I would add to that uh, from the college's perspective in, in terms of um, our commitment to students and that every dream matters and, and truly addressing it from a community perspective, um, from economic and social mobility. Uh, so our, our equity, diversity and inclusion, uh, prioritization and our values, uh, we have over the past several years um, really raised those uh, to ensure that we are, that our commitment uh, to equity is, is really the idea that we will meet students where they are. And I think from an educator's perspective, this is really important. It's not what students know. You know, we, we, had, to, um, we had to reposition the college from thinking, are students college ready to is the college student ready? And when we started to disaggregate our data from an educational perspective and, and the outcomes of, of achievement and success, and you start to see the gaps and the barriers. So we have um, spent the past three years so laser focused on this to really examine policies, to examine um, professional development, which is a key component 
Uh, I think for educators of, you know, of, of, of whether it's K-12, higher education, and, and to commit to um, what does an equity-focused agenda mean? And, and so we have our entire college um, really immersed in that and measuring that and redesigning around it. And so that spans from what does it mean from an equitable um, employment outlook? You know, where are individuals majoring and uh, how are we moving in Lorain County? We know that individuals who are born into the lowest socioeconomic quintile, um, only 4.7% 4, 4 of them get to the top of that quintile from an earning potential during their lifetime. We have to eliminate that. And it is working together back with our employers, back with K-12, and then from our own professional development and hiring perspective, um, assuring that equity, diversity, and inclusion is a focus of it. Thank you. And to the um, audience that's listening, you guys have uh, provided some really great questions. And I know we're going to be almost nearing wrap-up, so we won't be able to get to all of them this evening. But I wanted to thank you because it means you're listening very attentively. I do have a question um, that's recently come in that I think um, is directed towards Brad. You talked about the importance of listening, which feels kind of connected to the humanities. Can any of the panelists talk about how the humanities and liberal arts prepare students for entrepreneurship and the future of work? So anyone can take that one. I, I'll start with it. Uh, so there, there is a, um, a new focus, I think, on the humanities and liberal arts. Uh, there, there's a great book that I would recommend to educators. Uh, it's called Robot Proof, uh, written by Joseph Ayun, who is the president of Northeastern University. And so he describes the humanics and says, for the future of work, um, while all it's the critical thinking skills, but combined with big data and data analytics, cultural competencies, and that it is the humanics that will really become that foundation. So as we think about robot proof and automation and AI and AR, um, that you know, robots can outperform you know, debaters today, right? But what is that value added as humans that we can bring to that to ensure that in this rapidly changing technological economy, that, that our students, that our employees are truly bringing um, the value added. And, um, and, and that causes all of us who teach uh, liberal arts education to, to look at those outcomes. And that starts you know, from K-12. Absolutely, and just to get the breadth of that, we can either um, have Brad or Randy go on to that. I do have another question that I think um, may be interesting for a perspective from some of the things that Brad said, if you don't mind pivoting to that. Okay, so the, the question that's come in is much of early education involves memorization of a quantity of basic information. How can we integrate out of the box thinking while at the same time learning how to use foundational knowledge? And Brad, I'm lobbing this one to you because I think about you know some of the work that's done inside of your industry there is just a right and a wrong way, right? Like we have to be able to know that this thing has to happen a very specific way. But then you've also talked about the iterative process and 
failing fast but failing cheap. And so how do you kind of combine really both of that uh, thinking in really in one setting? Yeah, Danielle, I, I, are you referring to because we're our products are like uh, FDA regulated? Yeah, and we have to. I mean, uh, there's certain things that have to happen. And my sister works for Johnson and Johnson. Yeah, yeah. So we, we, I mean, we, um, we know that as we, as we're, let's say we're, we're starting down the journey of a, of a new idea or new concept. Um, we know all. We, we always know in the back of our mind that there are certain things that are not negotiable. Uh, um, when it comes to, you know, you need to have a product that's uh, safe, efficacious. Um, it has to meet the, uh, you know, the, the FDA requirements. There's certain claims you can make and cannot make. Um, so we kind of set those as the, um, how do I say, the guardrails for the, the innovation process. But we try to, you know, we try to keep them as wide as possible so that we don't constrain the um, uh, thinking. And then we allow people to, um, uh, to do that fail fast, fail cheap. Now, what's interesting is, um, you know, like, like a product like Purell, obviously it's FDA re regulated, but that's specific to the, um, to the formulation and how it works. But the, the, the product is also surrounded uh, around packaging. So when it comes to the, uh, the, the packaging, we can be, um, there, there are a lot less constraints. Um, we can do all kinds of different things, whether it's, uh, you know, how it's dispensed, um, uh, the, the format it's in. Uh, we actually launched a product and it's been extremely successful. It's a, a unit dose of uh, Purell. Um, uh, unfortunately, you, you could get it on Amazon, but right now it's typically out, but uh, it's a Purell, a Purell unit dose. And we chartered folks many years ago to figure out how do we, uh, you know, Purell is a product that you can use on the go. And so therefore um, you're not always gonna be near a wall-mounted dispenser or a bottle or something like that. What if we created something that you could carry in your pocket and you always had uh, something like that. So, you know, we, we, we said that from a packaging standpoint, um, you, you can, it's the world is, you know, the world is wide open and we actually uh, found some technology over in Europe, in Italy specifically, mm -hmm. and then brought it over here and, um, and then uh, and launched it. Awesome. And so I'm going to lab this final question to Randy in the last 60 seconds that we have. And I hate to put you on a time limit, but I want to be fair to the couple uh, more things that we want to round out the forum with. There was a specific question, Randy, about um, determining a candidate's soft skills and really looking at this global role that you have from an HR professional. What can we do to maybe leave teachers with a couple of nuggets to think about on how you all in professional world are looking at determining whether or not a candidate has that soft skill and how you might also determine if a candidate has an entrepreneurial mindset? Yeah, well, in 60 seconds, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll just say that um, we, my job as chief talent officer is to get people ready for leadership positions. And what one big thing we learned is that people can be brilliant at R&D and accounting and law, but if they don't have emotional intelligence, if they don't treat the people that they work with with respect, if they're not mindful of the importance of diversity and inclusion, if they're not uh, getting the fact that uh, companies have a role and responsibility to give back to the community, uh, teamwork makes the dream work, all these kinds of things, 
that's what makes for a smart and effective leader. So we more so maybe approach it from a different perspective. We, we sort of find those um, challenges that individuals have and we, we, we try to uh, send them the charm school, so to speak, to uh, gain a lot of those uh, um, you know, critical skills. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think it takes most of us a long time to sort of know who has um, an ability to be comfortable with uh, either working with people or, or being comfortable being uncomfortable, meaning that um, they, they don't fall apart when things don't necessarily go the right way. So I just think that, um, you know, educators should, should continue to sort of challenge students to think out of the box, to be in unusual kind of um, settings where uh, they, they don't necessarily know what's about to happen and they have to kind of react to uh, you know, something that they never have seen before. I think that's critical because that's what we're all dealing with right now with the pandemic, right? So if we all would have had these lessons back in elementary school, imagine how much better off we'd be right now. <laughs> so uh, for the sake of time, I'll, I'll stop there. But if I can borrow 10 more seconds, as a graduate of a liberal arts college and a 15 year board member of a liberal arts college, Baldwin Wallace University, we have been saying for many, many years that um, those that can show uh, flexibility and adaptability and a, a skill set uh, or, or a number of skill sets will win in the end. And I think um, that is showing right now and, and um, the way we think about humanities and all these other things that we're talking about. Absolutely. And Randy, I'll let you take 10 seconds any day of the week. All right. Um, so <laughs> now as we close out, we have a word cloud that you all had started at the beginning um, of this conversation. And so I'd love to see that word, word cloud come up. It's here on our screen now. And really what I think that it demonstrates, hopefully, as you thought about maybe the words that first came to mind, continue to think about maybe how those words changed for you as you listened to this conversation. I thank everybody for a great discussion. I apologize we couldn't get to all the questions, but we really wanted you to hear from all of our panelists. And now I'm going to turn it over to uh, Dan Malthrop, who is going to walk us through some more um, information this evening. Danielle, Sidnor, thank you so much for your, um, for leading the conversation and uh, so skillfully and and for helping us really understand these issues a little more clearly. Everybody, please you know, virtually raise your hands, put them together for Daniel Sidnor, please. Um, really great job. I wanna thank all of you as well for joining us for our forum on building skills for the future of work in the real world. Bradley, our panelists have been Brad Helfman of uh, Gojo Industries, where he's Director of Innovation Development, Dr. Marsha Ballinger, President of Rain County Community College, and Randy McShepard, Vice President of Public Affairs and Chief Talent Officer at RPM International Incorporated, where he also runs a small charm school. Our forum today is presented as part of the Inspire Fall Fest 2020, sponsored by the, the Burton D. Morgan Foundation. We're very grateful for this opportunity to partner with both organizations. All City Club virtual forums are sponsored by Bank of America, the Cleveland Foundation, Eaton, the George Gunn Foundation, KeyBank, Nordson, the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District and PNC, along with many other generous members, sponsors, and others who support our work. You can find them all listed on our website at cityclub.org slash thank you. You can also join them in supporting our work when you become a member or make a contribution at cityclub.org. I'm Dan Malthrop. Thank you so much for being a part of this. And thanks to everybody for, um, for all the great questions and the great conversation. The forum is adjourned.